0: What's up, everybody? Dan back with you here. Studio B, a.k.a. My Basement, for another episode of Intentional Fall. I will be going solo this week. Um, Josh is uh, on sabbatical, I guess you would say, for the time being. If you guys are, uh, haven't listened to the past couple shows, Josh is going to be taking a little time off here. In the fall, uh, due to his football commitments on the radio he's doing all these high school games on friday nights and and he's also got the whitewater stuff on saturday so i'm gonna be rolling solo some of the time might have a a a guest host in here once in a while as well if i can find anybody that's crazy enough to want to come in here and shoot the shit with me so um a lot to get to today we've got uh Obviously, week one of the NFL season is in the books. Uh, we've got a, uh, a disappointing Badger game to talk about. We've got a little uh, FIBA World Cup basketball to, to get to. Uh, the Brewers here making a push down the stretch here in the pennant race. And then an, an, another installment of the newest segment, Remember That Guy. But let's start with the NFL and, uh, you know, people probably that, that listen to this show have been wondering what the hell has taken me so long to uh, release this podcast this week. Am I in hiding because of the shellacking that my bears took at the hands of the Packers on Sunday? Um, no, I I, I actually kind of just got sidetracked with, with some other stuff this week. So, unfortunately, uh, we're, we're four days removed as I record this Thursday afternoon. But um, the pain is fresh enough that there's some things we can talk about. Um, I think, you, you know, begrudgingly as a, as a Bear fan, you got to give the Packers credit. They were ready to play. Um, they looked like a team that has a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, has a little bit of something to prove. Um, you know, and 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 not just Jordan Love. I think Matt Lafleur's got a lot to prove. A lot of a lot of people have said, including myself. Um, you know, you've had some really nice regular seasons, but you've had Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, and and you've had some pretty pretty bad failures in the playoffs. So, uh, how good a coach are you really? Um, but I, I I was I was impressed with what I saw from Green Bay. Just you know. <laughs> maybe not necessarily in terms of how how great or not great or mediocre or average the quarterback played. I just thought that they came out like a team that wanted to make a statement in week one of we're still the Packers, we're not going anywhere just because Aaron Rodgers is on a different team. And, um, you know, also we own the Bears. It doesn't really matter who the quarterback for us is or for them is. Um, the Packers just own the Bears right now. So let's get into that a little bit. Um, this is a total mismatch, really, if, if you're asking me. From the get-go, offense, defense, coaching, um, it's advantage Packers every single time. Um. You know the the strength of Green Bay's team is their offensive line and their defensive line, and the weakness of Chicago's team is their offensive line and their defensive line. Um, the Packers were able to get constant pressure on Justin Fields all day long. Um, Thirty five pressures, I believe, is what they were what they ended up for the game. And you know that'll happen when the week before opening day. The Bears put their starting right guard, Tevin Jenkins, on IR, which means they then have to take their starting center, Cody Whitehair, and move him to guard. By doing that, they had to bring Lucas Patrick off the bench and start him at center. He didn't take a snap all preseason. Their other guard, Nate Davis, who they signed in the offseason, barely played in the preseason. And you're starting a rookie right tackle, who by all accounts played pretty well. Um, but the the interior of the Bears offensive line was a disaster uh, Fields was constantly under pressure like I said running for his life and if you followed the Bears at all the last year or so that's usually not a good recipe for the, for the for Chicago because fields doesn't make great decisions all the time in those situations and you know he kind of looked like a guy that was caught a little bit in the middle of uh whether or not he should take off and run or if he should try to make a play with his arm. And, you know, Greg Olson talked about it during the game and, you know, you, you gotta be who you are. And and Justin Fields at this point in his career is not a you know five step drop, get it out accurately to a guy in space kind of a quarterback. He's a dual threat guy. Um and and regardless of of what everybody has said all off season about how he has to develop more as a passer, and the Bears went and they got him in better weapons, and yada yada yada. At the end of the day, you got to just win the game. And i th- I thought the Bears looked a little bit like they were trying to prove that um, all of these decisions and 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 roster moves they made in the offseason um, were going to pay off, but it just. It, it looked ugly. It looked disjointed. I mean, sometimes you watch the Bears, and they don't even really look like a professional offense. They almost kind of look like a like a high school offense who's got, like, a crazy athlete or two, but the rest of the team's not that good, and nobody really seems to know what they're doing. And, you know, sometimes your athleticism allows you to make huge plays, but most of the time, if you're playing anybody any good, you just can't get away with that shit. And, uh the Packers have a very good defense. We knew that they were they had the potential to be one of the top defenses in football going into the season. I think if they stay healthy, they're going to be a top six or eight defense in the NFL. I really do. Um, you know, uh, talking to some friends of mine that are that are Packer fans, you know, they were they were a little less impressed than the masses were. Um, that first half was really disgusting for both teams. 7-6, to a lot of missed opportunities, missed throws, penalties. Um, it was very discombobulated. And, you know, that's kind of what happens these days when nobody wants to play in the preseason. You know, week one is kind of turned into an extension of the preseason. And I think we saw a little bit of that in the first half. You know, in the second half... Um, the Packer fans that I've talked to basically said, yeah, love was fine. Uh, The Packers were okay, but they basically just made a bunch of third down conversions that were able to keep drives going. And, and that's kind of why they were able to pull away from Chicago in the second half. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, But again, you know, we kind of go back to the infrastructure and, and, and the coaching, Um, you know, green Bay came out, Well, let's back up for one one more possession. The Bears start with the ball, and they get to midfield, and they have a third and one, and they try to run this stupid misdirection play of snapping the ball to Cole Komet while he's the motion man, and the Packers stuff it. Then on fourth and one from midfield, they decide the Bears to go again and try to QB sneak it, and they're stuffed again. On one hand, I, I kind of understand the idea of going for it where, you know, you want to score first, you want to you want to start the season off on a good foot, you want to have good momentum. But at the same time, why are you running gimmicky shit on third and less than a yard? Um, do you really have that little confidence in your two running backs, uh, Khalil Herbert and Dante Foreman, who were both extremely underwhelming? Um. You know, and and I thought that 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 series really set the tone for the entire game. Um, the Packers defense was able to stand up and get a stop. The Bears offense didn't have the push up front to get one yard, and you know, and then the Packers get the ball, presumably with a uh, some scripted plays coming out of the locker room, and they march down and score a quick touchdown. Same thing kind of happened in the second half, where Packers get the ball, come out, and immediately score a touchdown. And that third quarter belonged to one guy, and his name was Aaron Jones, and he was able to take some screen passes and some some edge rushes and really, really put a hurting on that Bears defense. And um, you know the combination of him and 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 Dylan is so far superior to what the Bears trotted out there with Khalil Herbert and Dante Foreman, it's not even close. I mean, I like Khalil Herbert, but he's more of a Tariq Cohen third down back than he is uh, Aaron Jones a every down back. But the Bears are trying to convince us and, I guess, themselves that this guy is their number one running back, and he's just not. Dante Foreman, just a guy. Bounced around, been on a couple of teams. The one guy in the Bears that looked kind of good was was this Rashawn Johnson kid, the uh, the rookie out of Texas that they took. Um, he didn't even start in college; he was behind Bijan Robinson. But six foot, two hundred and twenty five pounds. Um, you know, at least he's got the ability to run somebody over and get some tough yards. But I don't know, man. I, I just I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like what I saw, and um, you know the Bears' defense is pretty bad, which is doubly concerning when you factor in their head coach is a defensive coach. Um, you know they the Bears made the conscious decision last year to hire a defensive coach, knowing full well that they had just drafted a rookie quarterback in Justin Fields, and. His progression has not been what we see um, young quarterbacks have with an offensive-minded head coach. If you're going to do that and hire a defensive head coach, that's fine, but your defense better be good. And it has not been under Matt Eberflus. It was bad last year, and it was bad in week one. Now, I don't want to do the Cardinal rule um, and mistake that a lot of people and a lot of fans and a lot of pundits make. And that's overreact to week one, and when we run through some of the other games here, um, there, there's some results this week that look really bad and leave you kind of scratching your head. But you got to remember, it's one of 17 games, and in a lot of these situations, you had quarterbacks who missed all of preseason. You don't have a lot of continuity with some of these teams, um, so you don't you, you don't want to overreact too much. But I will say. The Packers are are going to be a pretty good team this year. I I think that's evident. Between being able to run the football, being well-coached, having a stout defense, they really don't seem like they're going to have to ask Jordan Love to do a ton most of the time. When they play the upper echelon teams, yeah, he might have to make some plays. Um, But right now, I think he can kind of kind of get away with being a little bit of a game manager and before Packer fans freak out. He did make some nice throws on Sunday. I'm not I'm taking nothing away from him. But you have to factor in how bad the Bears defense was. Um you know and the other thing on the other side of the ball with Chicago, I still have hope for Fields. Um like I said, the Packers may have a top five defense in football this year and and seeing them in week one with all the continuity on that side of the ball that the Packers have and with the lack of continuity the Bears have on the offensive side of the ball, it's a tough matchup. It's it's a tough matchup for them. So I'm hopeful going going into this next week. Um, you've got a winnable road game if you're the Bears uh, down in uh, in Tampa. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. And, you know, if, if this doesn't turn around quickly, um there's still that that pretty good running back that played college football at Wisconsin kind of dangling out there. His name's Jonathan Taylor on the Indianapolis Colts and I think with the right compensation he can still be had. And it'll be interesting to see if the Bears are a team that, you know, they start off 1 and 3 and they can't run the football and you've got two first round picks in your pocket. You know, maybe you dangle one of those to Jim Irsay and see if he bites, and 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 get a guy like Jonathan Taylor. I don't know, I don't know. We'll see. But um, a little bit more news came out today. The Bears placed uh, defensive back Kyler Gordon on the injured reserve with a hand injury, so he will be out the next four games. They've already got Tevin Jenkins on the IR, so not a not a great start to the season. For the uh, the boys down in Chicago. Um, all right, let's move on to some results. Week one, we had a lot of weird, a lot of weird games, some upsets, um, some stuff that you can really, really, really overreact to if you if you want to. And um, like I said, I'm I'm going to try not to do that this week, just because it's it is week one, and you know we've all kind of seen this stuff before, but. We'll start with last Thursday night. Uh earlier in the week last week, Travis Kelsey goes down with what is initially feared as a possible ACL tear. Thankfully for for him and the Chiefs, it was not, but he was unavailable Thursday night and the Detroit Lions walk into Arrowhead and leave with a 21 to 20 victory. Now, on its face, you're like, "Oh, wow, oh my god, Detroit must be awesome." Well, like I said, no Kelsey for the Chiefs, no Chris Jones on defense for the Chiefs, and Kadarius Toney, um I don't know if if he had money on the game, he must have bet against the Chiefs because that dude was dropping everything in the in his vicinity. I think Mahomes hit him in the hands like 3 times and he just flat out dropped it. Um so I think, you know, I think Detroit's going to be a solid team, but this by no means is is who the Chiefs are. I, I, you know, it's one of those things where now now all of a sudden I wouldn't be shocked to see Kansas City rip off ten eleven wins in a row. Um, Atlanta twenty four to ten over Carolina. This was pretty ugly. I didn't get to see much of this game, thankfully, because um, there wasn't much to watch. You know, you got a rookie quarterback and Bryce Young um, on Carolina, which. You know they might be the worst team in football this year, which would be nice if you're a Bear fan like myself, because we do hold that that first round pick in the 2024 draft of Carolinas, um, Atlanta. You know they, they they're going to have a heck of a running game this year. Desmond Ritter at quarterback. Eh, we'll see. Um, Cleveland, twenty four to three over Cincinnati. This is this is one of these. There's a handful of these games. I talked about the Bears and the Packers. This is another one. Cleveland owns Cincinnati. And and frankly, they own Joe Burrow. They held Joe Burrow to under 100 yards passing. I think he was in the 80s. Um, It's like the, uh, the seventh or eighth time Cleveland has beaten Cincinnati in Cleveland. I think it's the fifth time in a row Cleveland has beaten Cincinnati overall. So there's something there. It's 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 one of those Things in sports Sometimes a team that's not as good Has the number of a better team And it, it appears that way With, with this rivalry um, Jacksonville, Indianapolis Shockingly The Colts were up 21-17 Going into the fourth quarter And uh, the Jags finally woke up and, and were able to put the game away Anthony Richardson, the young quarterback For the Colts um Did some nice things. Uh, I was impressed. And, you know, again, going back to the coaching, the Colts draft this kid, and they go out and they get themselves the offensive coordinator who scored helped the uh, Philadelphia Eagles score all those points last year, and they bring him over to to Indy to be their coach. So that's, you know, that infrastructure for these young quarterbacks, that's an important thing, And, and, and the Colts have at least through one week, have appeared to, do, to make the right decision um, in, in hiring Shane Steichen to be the coach. Um, Jacksonville is one of those teams that I think everybody's predicting them to be better than they were last year. I'm not sure how much better they are, but I think everybody thinks they're going to take some some sort of a leap and you know, for them to get a division road win, that's a good start. Um, this one was a little bit of a shocker to me. Considering I picked the Vikings to win the North – um, to just completely piss down their leg at home against the Baker Mayfield-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's a terrible loss. Um, Kirk Cousins is going to Kirk Cousins, and he did in the second half. You know, Justin Jefferson absolutely dominated the first half of that game. The second half, he might as well have stayed in the locker room. They couldn't figure out a way to get him the ball. Cousins turned it over a couple times, and then it comes out that Baker Mayfield uh, told his teammates during the game that he knew the Vikings defensive calls. So and I mean this this is Baker Mayfield. This isn't this isn't Peyton Manning. So uh some gotta be some concerns in Minneapolis because that's that's a bad loss. Saints sixteen, Tennessee fifteen, barely saw any of this game other than the fact that Tannehill was terrible for the Titans. Um, I, I I don't know what the hell they're gonna do with that spot. I mean, he appears washed. Malik Willis is not an NFL quarterback. We saw that last year. And they drafted Will Levis this year, second round, I believe. And I don't think he's ready to go. And, you know, <laughs> you got to be careful with these guys. You throw a guy out there like that who's not ready, it could it could wreck him real quick. Uh, but neither one of those teams are, are very good, you know, if things go the right way they could make the playoffs because their 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 divisions are so weak but ugly game. Um Cincinnati or excuse me San Francisco 30 to 7 on Pittsburgh and I'm not sure the score is even indicative of of that game. That was an absolute ass kicking. Um that the Niners put on Pittsburgh. And I'm a little surprised but then again not um you know I still think Pittsburgh's going to have a good team. Uh Kenny Pickett you know, uh, what, like his 10th, 12th start of his career going up against that 49er defense that has had to sit there and listen all summer long about how, you know, Seattle's going to overtake them and Dallas and Philadelphia are the best teams in the NFC and nobody believes in Brock Purdy. This was a little bit of a statement game for the Niners as well. And uh, I think, you know, if, if Purdy and Debo... And Kittle and McCaffrey are healthy. I'm not sure who's beating this team in the NFC. Baltimore 25, Houston nine. Again, you know, rookie quarterback with uh CJ Stroud with the Texans. This was pretty much a mismatch from the get go. Not not a heck of a lot to say there. Washington twenty, Arizona sixteen. It's just two bad teams. Um I barely watched any of it. Arizona's quarterback is Josh Dobbs, who they said they signed like a week ago. Like I admit that, like you, why didn't why? Wh- who the hell was playing in the preseason? I don't know. Very strange. Um, Denver losing at home to the Raiders, seventeen sixteen. Not a great way for the Sean Payton era to begin um, against a Raider team that I think most people don't have a lot of high hopes for. You know, I didn't get to see any of this game because um, I was watching the Bears and Packers. By all accounts, it sounded like Wilson played all right for Denver, but there's just not a lot of pop there. There's not a lot of big playability with the Broncos, and I just think they're going to have a hard time scoring many points. Um, Philadelphia takes care of business uh, in New England 25-20. to 20. Miami and uh, the Chargers. Miami wins 36-34, which, you know, basically it's a de facto home game for the Dolphins. I think half of the uh, Charger Stadium was full of Dolphin fans. Both of these teams got got great offenses. I'm not sure there's anybody in football that's, that scares any defenses more than Tyreek Hill does. Um, Man, I mean, <laughs> imagine if he was still on Kansas City. I mean, that defense for KC might not be as stout. You know, maybe you weren't able to retain a couple guys on that side of the ball, but, whew, Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Kelsey, that that would be something else. I think the rest of the NFL is glad that that Tyreek ended up down in Miami, but Dolphins might end up being one of the top two or three offenses in football this year if they can keep two on the field. He threw for about 450 yards in this game, and, you know, they were really good last year when he played. I think they were nine and two, something like that. When when Tua started, so this is a team that, that that's going to be around at the end. Um, another one of those just got got the other team's number. Rams thirty, Seahawks thirteen. Uh, but McVeigh owns Pete Carroll for whatever reason. I think it's like the fourth or fifth time in a row now the Rams have beat Seattle, and that includes last year when the Rams stunk um so that was a little surprising the Sunday night game I mean that that's as quick as a football game is over in pro football as you will see Dallas wins 40 to nothing over the Giants and the Giants put together a, a, a semi-decent drive on the first possession they get down to about the 30 and they get a field goal blocked that uh, Dallas runs in for a score and and it just opened the floodgates and the Giants were never able to recover. I think they are going to rue the day they gave Daniel Jones that big contract. Nice player, but, you know, some of these guys, they got to play from the front. And, you know, you get behind 20 points in in a football game and you're asking Daniel Jones to go out there and make plays. And, look, as Badger fans, we've seen it, you know. You can have a great running game, you can have a great defense, but if you have no explosiveness in the passing game and you get behind, it's really hard to come back. And then the Monday night game <laughs> I mean I, I the Jets win twenty two to sixteen on a walk off punt return touchdown in overtime. But none of that really matters because four snaps into the Jets season Aaron Rodgers tears his Achilles tendon, and if you were watching the game, it didn't look like much in real time, but when he sat down, I knew he was done for the year. Um, I've seen this happen to guys in in the NBA. Um, we saw it happen a couple years ago to Durant in the finals. You know the most famous one is probably Kobe Bryant tearing his, walking to the free throw line, shooting his free throws, and walking off the court. Um, so you know Rogers knew he was in trouble, and I think I think the Jets trainers once they got out there, they knew pretty quickly what it was. They put him in a boot, and um, then it was announced on Tuesday that he is done for the year. So you know, little karmic justice. Maybe, um, you know, you never want to see anybody get hurt as a, as a football fan. It's a little bit of a downer that, you know, one of the main storylines of the season now is, uh, is, is gone before week one is even over. So that kind of stinks. Rogers did go online yesterday, I believe, and, and say something, you know, I shall return like he's Jesus Christ or something. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's going to go out this way. I, I. I think he's. He wants to prove that he can play outside of Green Bay, and uh, I think he will be back next year. This isn't an injury that should really affect him that much. His days of being a a dual threat quarterback are kind of over anyway. He hasn't done a lot of running in the last year or two, as it is. Um, and if anything, you know, for the Jets. This could be a blessing in disguise. They're going to get to keep their pick, their first-round pick, and not send it to the Packers as part of the Rodgers trade because Rodgers is not going to meet um, the playing time requirements. That's good for for the Jets. And it gives them another year to try to fix that offensive line because Aaron dropped back four times, three times, and... Two of them, he had to scramble out of the pocket, and the third one, he was sacked, and the injury happened. Um, so they're going to have problems there all year. And uh, good luck, Zach Wilson. You're going to need it. All right, Let me take a quick drink here. Hey, you do these podcasts by yourself. You really, really do a lot of talking. That's interesting. All right, week two matchups tonight. This game will probably already be decided by the time you listen to this podcast, but Thursday night football Vikings and Eagles kind of a must win for the Vikings, man. Um, and it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be really, really difficult for them to go into Philadelphia and win, um, on a short week coming off of a bad loss in Philly's home opener. And you know, Depending on what goes on with the Lions and the Packers this week, you know you could already be sitting in a two-game hole, and the season has barely started. So this this big big game for the Vikings Sunday. Packers at Falcons. Um, like I said, the Falcons have got a nice running game, so that that's going to be interesting to see how the Packers adapt to that. You know, Jordan Love again. Um, on the road, I think it's going to be against a little bit more stout of a defense than he saw last week with the Bears. But I still like the Packers in this one. Um, Raiders at at Bills. Boy, Josh Allen was really bad Monday night. Four turnovers. Um, really, really reckless with the football. Kind of looked like a kind of looked like a young Favre, just kind of winging it out there and and and. And hoping. Um, so this this is one of those games where I, I could see Buffalo getting out to a big lead and, and, and really putting a hurting on the Raiders. Baltimore-Cincinnati. Um, huge divisional game in the AFC North. And again, kind of like Minnesota, Cincinnati, you don't want to start out 0-2. Now, I know they did it last year and they were able to rebound, but I don't know that you want to keep tempting fate. And then you couple that with this being a conference game, or excuse me, a division game at your place um, against what you would figure to be your chief rival in, in the Ravens. Um, you know, Joe Burrow's got to step up and turn, turn that, turn that ship around and, and try to get a home win. This is going to be a, one of the better games of the week. I weekend, I think Seattle at Detroit, um, you know, again, Seattle, you don't want to drop down. zero and two, because you know, and it, that's the thing is like, oh, you say, oh, it's zero two. It's so early. It's like, yeah, but if you if you're zero two and and the Niners are two and zero, you're gonna have a hard time catching them. You know, if Minnesota's zero two and Green Bay and Detroit are two and zero, you're gonna have a hard time catching them. You just are. And um, I think Seattle, they were really really bad last week, and they've got to find a way to score some points. Geno Smith looked bad. Um, they've got weapons out on the perimeter with with Metcalf and, and Lockett and Smith-Jigba that they got from from Ohio State, so there's no excuse for this team to not score. Lions got a good defense, though. Home opener coming off a huge win. They've got the extra couple days of rest as well. Um, I, I, I got to say, I, I like the Lions in this one. Chargers at Titans. Um, if you were betting, if you're a betting man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch this game with a 10-foot pole. Chargers could win this game by 30. Uh, Tennessee could win this game 10-7. No clue. Uh, Bears go down to Tampa Bay. Boy, if the Bears don't win this game, they're in trouble. Matt Eberflus's job is in trouble. Um, Tampa Bay is not a very good team. They've got some names, but at the end of the day, you cannot trust Baker Mayfield. He he has these games like he did last week where he kind of plays well, and you go, oh, okay, yeah, Baker, maybe. And then the next week he turns back into a pumpkin. So um, I think the Bears are going to win this game. I think it's going to be a 20-17, to 23-20 type of game, but I'm hoping for the best. Um, playoff rematch from last year. Chiefs at Jags. Now, the Chiefs, if they were to lose this game and start out 0-2, I have no worries about them. Too talented, too well-coached, too good a quarterback, too many veterans. Um, I, I don't think it would be an issue. If Jacksonville could knock them off at home, I think this is the kind of win that could propel the Jags to uh, to have a really, really nice season. Um a toilet bowl game here, right, right along the lines with the Bears in Tampa Bay, um, Indianapolis at Houston. So Anthony Richardson, who was I believe the fourth pick in the draft, against CJ Stroud, the second pick in the draft. This has just got like eight turnover game written all over it for me. Neither one of these teams are very good. Uh, probably won't watch a second of it. San Francisco at the Rams. I would expect the Niners to to dominate this game. Um but you never know. The the Rams have they've they've been able to find a way in some of these games. They're at home. Um they're they're relatively healthy. You know, you still got guys like Aaron Donald on that defense too and and you know, Brock Purdy's proven that he's not exactly an iron man. You can get to him, so something to watch for. Giants at the Cardinals. Ugh. I mean, if you if you're the Giants, you have to win this game. I don't know how you could survive an zero and two start um, in that division, especially if one of those losses is to a really really poor Arizona team. Um, Jets at Dallas. Whew. This might be another forty to nothing game. I just don't know how the Jets are going to be able to move the ball and score on this Dallas defense because they are loaded. Um, Washington at Denver, eh, probably won't see too much of that. Sunday Night Football, Miami at the Patriots. That'll be an interesting one. Um, I don't think New England's that bad, but I'm not sure they're going to have the horses to be able to slow down the Dolphins. And then for some reason we have two Monday Night Football games again this week. I don't know why. Um and whoever decided on this game needs to be fired. New Orleans at Carolina on Monday Night Football in Week 2? What the hell for? Who's who's clamoring for this game? No, thank you. Um, and then the second game, which will be a good game, Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Um, chance for uh, the Steelers to kind of right the ship after that disastrous home opener last week against the Niners. And, you know, the Browns, if, if the Browns go into Pittsburgh and win this one and, and start off... Two and zero overall, and two and zero in the division. Boy, that would really turn some heads. So, so that's the uh, week one recap, week two preview of the NFL. Um, should be interesting. We'll see what happens with some of these games. But there's some teams early on here that could be in trouble. Could be in trouble. All right. Let's get to a little college football. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Um, I'm not a huge college football guy, but I, I did just want to hit some stuff with the Badgers here. Badgers go out to Pullman, Washington, take on the uh, Washington State Cougars Saturday night and lose 31-22. to um, I don't like what I've seen from this team after two games. I'm not going to overreact to it because you've got a new coach, trying to implement a new system with a lot of guys that um, aren't necessarily guys that he would want or would recruit if he had his choice. Um, But it's hard to understand how you can go play a road game against a Power 5 opponent. You have a Heisman Trophy candidate at running back, And at halftime, he has two rushing attempts. Two. Two more than me. Two more than you. Two. He ends up, Braylon Allen, with seven rushing attempts for the game. Now, he did have five or six targets in the passing game. Great. He's a 220-pound bulldozer of a running back. I don't understand why they're not giving him the ball more. And, you know, this is one of the fears that you have kind of as a Badger fan. You know, everybody wants to be a more diverse, versatile offense, but you hired a coach that doesn't really want to run between the tackles that much. And unfortunately, right now, I don't think he has the personnel in place to play the way he wants to play but he's still calling the plays that way. Um, you know, we saw a little bit of this early on with Gary Anderson and his regime and some of the things that he wanted to do, and uh, ultimately it ended up not working. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be the case with Luke Fickle. I think Luke Fickle is a better football coach than Gary Anderson, but, you know, Chesma Lucy, nice player. He's not better than Braylon Allen. He shouldn't have more carries and more touches. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, The quarterback position, Mordecai, uh, I've been very underwhelmed with him through two weeks. If if he's better than Graham Mertz, it's centimeters better. It's not a lot. Um, I think the Badger defenses look slow. Um, They've been picked apart at times in the passing game over the first two weeks. Their defensive backs look... Very, very, very mediocre, and again, this might be a case of a coach implementing a system with players that don't necessarily fit his system, so I'm not going to lose my mind here, Uh, but the loss did drop him out of the top 25. Um, Bucky will be at home Saturday against Georgia Southern. I expect that to be a romp, and if it's not a romp, I think there is going to be some people around here asking some serious questions because you know that's just that's just college football. You know, everybody thinks their team ought to win every week, Badger fans included. And when they don't, or if they win and they don't win by enough, people start rumbling. And um, I think anything short of about a a fifty to ten kind of a beating here is going to have some people a little ornery around the Badger program. So uh, keep your fingers crossed for, <laughs> for Tanner Mordecai to, throw, it to the, throw the ball to the right team and for maybe Braylon Allen to get a few more touches. All right, let's get to some hoops. So the FIBA World Cup just ended, and the U.S. team went home without a medal big deal, medium deal, no deal at all. I'd say medium deal. Um, you know, as we talked about last week, this is not our best team. Um and that is part of our problem that we have in this country with USA basketball versus the other countries. Um you know, we, we lose in the semifinals to a to a Germany team that's got some nice players on it. Um, Dennis Schroeder, the point guard, um, he's been in the NBA for about a decade. Good good player. Um, the Wagner brothers, Franz and Mo, been in the NBA for a few years now. Both of them. Franz is a really really nice young player for the Orlando Magic. Um, and then in uh, Germany had some shooting. They had some kid I never heard of. Who who threw in about thirty against you against the U.S. in that semifinal game to uh, to upset us, and then we play Canada in the bronze medal game. and what is basically, if you watched any of it, it basically was an NBA game. Um, Canada's team is littered with with NBA players, um, led by Shea Gilgis Alexander, who is one of the you know. One, He's one of the best players in the world right now. And um, he was great. He had a near triple-double in the bronze medal game. Dylan Brooks, uh, formerly of Memphis, signed this summer with Houston. Uh, he had 39 in this game. Um, you've got guys like Kelly Olynyk on Canada, Lou Dort, um, uh, Zach Eady of Purdue was the big guy off the bench. So um, Canada's got a nice team. And... You know, this was getting the bronze medal it was the first time a Canadian basketball team has medaled in international play since 1936, and that's kind of the rub with with what our problem is in the World Cup. Um, we don't send our best team over there, and one of the reasons why we don't is because we don't care as much as the other countries do. Um, The, the top-tier stars in America are not going to play and give up a summer to play international basketball that doesn't have the word Olympics connected to it. They're just not. Um, I don't know how we change that. It may never change. Um, if you look historically, we usually don't win the World Cup. Um. I think last time they had it, I think it was 2019, I believe we finished 7th. So, this particular team I thought had poor roster construction. Grant Hill um, put this roster together. He now works for USA Basketball. It's his first time doing it. I'll give him a pass. We just didn't have enough bigs. Um, We didn't have enough defense on the perimeter. I mean, listen, I love Bobby Portis, but if Bobby Portis is playing crunch time minutes for Team USA in international competition in a medal game like he was against Canada, eh, I think we can do better than that. We have to do better than that. Um, in the Canada game, we were missing a couple guys who were out with illness. Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson, um, Bancaro, I believe, was also out. So we were missing some size. We were. But um, throughout the tournament, the lack of, traditional big men and the ability to rebound and defend other teams' bigs in the post, it it really showed up. Um, You know, and and unfortunately, as happens with American teams when you put these quote-unquote all-star teams together, not everybody buys in. And unfortunately, Brandon Ingram was a guy who I think um, when they put the team together, Team USA kind of looked at him as playing the Carmelo Anthony role of come in, score. Um, You're going to be our designated three-point shooter, but you're not going to have the ball that much. It's not going to be like when you're playing in the NBA on the Pelicans. And he pouted, and that's unfortunate. Um, I think that really, really hurt this team overall down the road. So, what's next? Well, of course, as he would as he likes to do, LeBron James insinuates himself into a conversation that he has no part in. He decides after watching USA lose in the bronze medal game that well, he's playing in the next Olympics in in 2024 next year. Um Nah, I'm good. I'm good. You've had your time. You've played in three Olympics. It's you're 40. It's time for somebody else to to go. And I don't feel that way just about him. He talked about putting together uh, uh, a super team that included guys like Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. And I don't want to see those guys over there either. Um, Those guys have had their time. It's time to move on. You know, we if we're if we're going to long term continue to be the basketball power, we have to develop the younger generations and get them to understand how much these other countries care, how the FIBA game is different from the American game and what is the best way for us to go over and compete against these teams. And, you know, I don't think it's by, you know, the Rolling Stones forming back up and, 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 you know, in their 70s to go on a tour. Um, you know, I was kind of looking through some, some names here, kind of like who I would, you know, what, what would my, my kind of dream team be for, for next year's Olympics. I got my starting lineup would be, I got Steph at point. He's never played in an Olympics. Devin Booker at the two Tatum at the three Anthony Davis. God, God help him. If he can play that many games in a calendar year at the four bam out of at the five I got Cade Cunningham, Anthony Edwards, Jimmy Butler, Mikael Bridges, Evan Mobley, Jaron Jackson Jr. coming off the bench, and maybe even throwing a Chet Holmgren. Um, a, a big kid, 7-footer, shooter, could use some international experience. Um, that's the kind of team I would like to see go over there. You know The Damian Lillards and the LeBrons and the Chris Pauls, Durant, Kyrie, these guys have had their time. Some of them have gone over and played really well, like LeBron and Kevin Durant. Some of them have gone over to, to international play and stunk, like Damian Lillard did in the last Olympics, and drew, thankfully, Drew Holiday was there to save their ass. Um, so that's just, you know, that that's my hope going forward to next year. Um, I have a feeling if LeBron says he wants to be on the team, he's going to be on the team because nobody's going to have the stones to tell him no. But um, LeBron's also known for making these statements and then and then completely backing out of them when it comes time to shit or get off the pot as well. So we'll see. One thing I did want to talk about with these games, and I've talked about it before, I love FIBA basketball and how quickly the game moves. These games are two hours. They're not two and a half like the, some of these NBA games. And the best part about it is, The referees do not put up with the bullshit. I saw Dylan Brooks get thrown out of a game for whining about a call. I saw Luka Doncic get thrown out of a game for whining about a call. And compared to the way Luka whines in the NBA, he barely did anything. And they threw him out. I love that. These these young guys in America and these high school kids and college kids that see the constant bitching and moaning and whining and screaming at referee we wonder why parents act the way they do and why kids act the way they do this is what everybody sees on television but you know what that shit don't fly in Europe it just doesn't and everybody knows it and if you're going to if you do it you're going to get thrown out of the game um, i wish that was something that the nba could Adopt and, and slowly transition into that But frankly I think they like the drama So Okay that's all we got for hoops Let's move a little bit into uh, to MLB Major League Baseball um, The Brewers are playing as we speak uh, Game 4 of their series This week against the Marlins And um Brewers still in first place, 81 and 64 record. They are four games up on the Cubs um, with what? We've got about 15, 16 games left in the season. Um, Brewers are playing well right now. The pitching staff has been unbelievable. Um, I mean, even last night, the Brewers lose. Uh, they lose two to nothing. The night before, Freddie Peralta gives up one run. The night before that, Brandon Woodruff throws a complete game shutout, and the day before that, the Brewers take a no-hitter into the 10th inning. Um, the starting pitching has been phenomenal of recent of recent weeks. Uh, Freddy Peralta, I believe, was the National League pitcher of the month in September. He's been great. Corbin Burns has been awesome, and he hasn't gotten a win in like six weeks. Not Not by his fault, but that's just the way it goes sometimes, but you know, getting Woodruff back and slotted into his spot kind of lets all the rest of the dominoes fall where they need to. Um, he's big time, man. He's big time. As great as Corbin Burns is, when Woodruff is going well, the Brewers are really tough to beat. Um, last week they went 1-2 and two in Pittsburgh, 2-1 and one at the Yankees, and they are 2-1, and one, as I said, so far in this series against the Marlins with one game going on as we speak. That Yankee series was was kind of bonkers. Um the Yankees stink. I don't know what the hell happened to that team. They were they were dropping pop ups. They had balls dropping between guys. People are looking around at each other. Um and then as I said, you had the ten the the ten inning no hitter and and somehow the Brewers end up losing that game. So they won the first two games, one of which on Friday night they probably shouldn't have, and then Sunday you probably should win a game when nobody gets a hit on you for three and a half hours. But unfortunately they lost. So after uh, after today's game with the Marlins, you got three this weekend against the Nationals in Milwaukee, and um, you know the Brewers are in a good spot. They're they're pretty much locked into into where they're at in the playoffs. We'll get to that in a second. Um, they did sign Josh Donaldson last week. He did come up this weekend or this week for uh, for the Miami series. Um, had a home run the other night. I think he reached base in six of his first eight plate appearances. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, if they can get anything out of him, I'm all for it. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little concerned about some of the other stuff that comes with it when you bring him in. You know, he's a little bit of a diva, I guess, in the locker room. And, and look. If he's playing Monasterio or Terangs, not. And I'm not sure that's the best thing right now for the Brewers. Um, News yesterday, David Stearns is officially leaving to go to the Mets. Director of Baseball Ops, I believe, is going to be his title with the Mets. Um, You know, I had my ups and downs with Stearns. But overall, I think he's done a—he did a really good job of uh, changing the culture in Milwaukee, and and putting the the franchise on track to to be um, to be a contender every year. Or as he famously said, "Take as many bites at the apple as we can get." We all laughed at it. We all rolled our eyes about it. But I do understand what he's saying. Um, he, he's, he's, he's leaving a good legacy in Milwaukee. He really is, and re- regardless of how you feel about him, this has been one of the more successful eras of Brewer Baseball that we've ever seen. Um, you know, I wish him the best in, in New York with the Mets, um, but I don't wish the Mets any luck, so if that makes sense. Baseball standings, AL playoff race, Baltimore, Houston, and Minnesota are your division leaders. Um Tampa Bay is the top wild card. They're they're essentially in the playoffs. They're like nine games up on the other wild card teams, so they're in. Toronto, Seattle, and Texas are all separated by one game. Somebody's going to get left out um, of the mix in the AL. NL playoff race, Atlanta has already clinched the East. The Dodgers are um, comfortably in first place in the West, and as we said, the Brewers are four up on the Cubs in the Central. I think all three of those teams will end up being the one, two, three in the National League in that order, Atlanta, L.A., Milwaukee. Um, wild cards right now, it appears Philadelphia and the Cubs are pretty solid, although the Cubs, you know, if they went on a little losing streak here, they could be in some trouble. But right now they're pretty comfortable uh, in the wild card. And then you've got Arizona, Cincinnati, Miami, and San Francisco all separated by two games. So um, it's going to be a fun last couple weeks. In, 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 uh, in baseball, this is kind of when, you know, I really start paying a lot more attention and getting more ramped up for everything. And, and I, I pay attention to the brewers all year, but as far as the rest of the, of the league goes and, and especially the American league, I kind of start paying a little bit more attention to, uh, to some of these teams and, and what they're doing. So, uh, we're getting there we we got, I think about three weeks left in the regular season and, uh, and we're done. So. All right, little little drink for the working man. All right, so last thing we'll finish up with, our, our newest segment that we created last week called Remember This Guy. And uh, last week, we did Willie McGee, Glenn Rice. Those guys both had pretty pretty long, pretty storied careers. These are a little bit shorter this week. Um one guy who people have definitely forgot about. And the other guy, I think, maybe he, while he's not been forgotten about, I think people just don't know much about him. Um, so the first guy we're going to start with, remember this guy, Brett Saberhagen. 16 years in, in the MLB, 1984 to 2000. Played for the Royals, the Mets, the Rockies, and the Red Sox. 167 wins, 117 career losses. 3.34 ERA, 2,562 innings pitched. Nice career. Made his Major League debut at age 20 in 1984. The next year, at age 21, the 1985 season, Brett Saberhagen goes 20-6, and six, 2.87 ERA, 235 innings pitched, 10 complete games, 158 strikeouts, 38 walks, and wins the Cy Young Award. That's an unbelievable season for a 21-year-old starting pitcher. Ten complete games? I love Brandon Woodruff. They acted like he solved the Rubik's Cube on the Brewer game the other night after he pitched one complete game. This dude had ten as a 21-year-old. That's 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 impressive. 1985 World Series against St. Louis, the Royals against the Cardinals. He makes two starts. He goes 2-0 with a .5 ERA. He gives up one earned run in 18 innings, 10 strikeouts, one walk. The Royals win the World Series, and Brett Saberhagen, at age 21, walks away with the World Series MVP. Wow. 1989 season, which was his actual best season of his career. 23-6, and 2.16 ERA, 262 innings pitched, 12 complete games, 193 Ks, 43 walks, and wins his second Cy Young Award. In his first eight seasons in the league with the Kansas City Royals, his record is 110-78. and 3.2 on ERA, 1,660 innings, 64 complete games. 64 complete games in eight years. For all you math majors, that's eight a year. I'd probably freaking lead the majors now for a decade. 1,093 strikeouts, 330 walks, two Cy Youngs, a World Series MVP, and a title. Now, that would probably be a hell of a start to a Hall of Fame career. But unfortunately for Brett Saberhagen, the second eight years of his career weren't great. Um, about a 500 pitcher, ERA goes up a little bit, um, innings go down considerably, um, and he and he bounces around to a couple of teams. Once once he's traded in the 19, uh, I believe it was 1993 season to the Mets. Uh, it was kind of Kind of all downhill from there, but Brett Saberhagen, he's one of these guys from the eighties. We all had his baseball card. We all knew he was a really good player. Um he, he you know, he's he's he would probably make the hall of really good. You know, guys like him and you know, maybe like a David Cohn, who they could be the number one starter on a World Series team or even a World Series championship team, but just didn't quite have that kind of longevity to put them in the hall. So So that's the first guy. The second one is more of a, maybe not, do you remember this guy, but do you know about this guy? And this is a guy that during March is all over your television screen. He's been calling games and working in the studio for CBS for decades now. And if you're of a certain age, you look at him sitting on the dais with Greg Gumbel and Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley, and you probably think, who the hell is this guy? And Why am I listening to him? What does he know? Well, that man's name is Clark Kellogg. and And let me tell you, dude could play. 1980 high school parade All-American. 1980 to 1982, he plays at Ohio State. Where over those three years, he has a career average of 15 points and 10 rebounds a game. And in 1982, he's first team all Big Ten. Decides to go pro after his junior year. And is picked number eight in the 1982 draft by the Indiana Pacers. As a rookie, he averages 20 points and 10 rebounds. Makes first team all rookie and a second in the rookie of the year voting behind Terry Cummings who later on would end up becoming a very, very, very good player for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, but Clark's career averages 19 points, 9.5 rebounds per game, 3 assists per game. His first three years, he's a 2010 guy. He signs with Converse to a shoe deal in 1984, I believe it said. Now you now you hear that, and you got to be saying to yourself, Why have I never heard about this guy? Why is he not talked about as one of the the better forwards of his era? I don't understand. Well, it's real simple. 19 games into his fourth year, he blows his knee out. He misses the entire next season. He comes back. He plays four more games and has to retire at the age of 27 from chronic knee injuries. A guy that missed out on an opportunity to play with guys like Chuck Person, Reggie Miller, Rick Smits. Um, Missed out on an opportunity to be a part of some of those Pacer teams that were battling the Knicks in the early 90s. Missed out on an opportunity to be going head-to-head at the forward position with guys like Carl Malone and Charles Barkley and Kevin McHale. And... If you ever have heard Charles Barkley talk about Clark Kellogg, it's nothing but respect. Clark was a hell of a player. It's just one of those things, born at the wrong time, man. If he's born now, those knee injuries that forced him to retire at 27, he's probably over them in six months. Or he may not even get them because of the preventative maintenance that we have now. And it's just another... Another one of those instances where when you're trying to compare eras, you have to compare everything, and one of the biggest things that people leave out is the medical. And Clark is one of those guys that if the medical care was back then what it is now, he probably has a 10, 12-year career. He's probably looked at as one of the better players at his position of his era. Whether or not he's in the Hall of Fame, who knows, Uh, but... Just remember when you're watching him call a, call a Purdue-Indiana game on a Sunday afternoon in the winter or when he's sitting at the desk and he's telling you about um, Sam Houston State and, and how they're a sleeper and why. He, he's not, this ain't Seth Davis. This ain't some nerd boy sitting down in his basement in front of a computer reading stats. This is a real player. This is a real guy who in his day... Could, could stack up with anybody. So um, so hopefully that was kind of fun. Reminisce a little bit about Brett Saberhagen. Learn a little bit about my man Clark Kellogg. I'm going to try to keep that going. Try to get maybe two guys a week. Um, I think next week I'm going to go for a little bit more lighthearted guys. I got a couple people in mind. Um, if there's anybody you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to let me know. You can hit me up on Facebook. You can text me if you got my number. Or, or let Goldberg know. Um, he's still going to be producing the podcast. I'm going to be sending this stuff off to him, and, and he's going to be posting it for you. So so everything should be normal there. Um, but like I said, you know, some of these I'm going to be rolling solo. Hopefully um, you guys can put up with me talking for a straight hour. My throat's going to have to get used to it because I've already drank a an entire Mountain Dew here. Um But I'm not opposed to having some help as well, and and I got a couple people in mind that I might bring on here to uh, to help out and give their perspectives, and um, you know whatever we can do to keep this thing going, we just like you know I like to have fun with it. Josh likes to have fun with it. Um, You know he will be back, like I said, at some point once once his football duties are over. Was you know kind of as we get closer to December, I think we'll we'll get him back. But uh, in the meantime. We're gonna keep doing our thing. We're gonna have a lot of football to talk about every week, and and as we get you know closer to the MLB playoffs and closer and closer to to college and pro basketball starting up here in about a month, um, we're gonna have a lot of stuff to talk about. So uh, we'll we'll keep it rolling for you. Um, yeah. So I guess that's about it. So appreciate everybody listening as always. I'm Dan. For Josh Goldberg, this has been the intentional foul, and we will uh, we will catch you down the road. Go Bears!